Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 101. Just recently climbed over triple digits, and I am really, really excited to have one of the legends of the game on this week, Lynn Dunn, the University of Kentucky's uh, assistant to the head coach for the women's basketball program. Uh, Coach Dunn has had an awesome career, and we're going to dive into that here a little bit. Uh, But before we talk to Coach Dunn, uh, we, of course, need to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balance, neck, or spinal issues, have them go see COSAC Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at COSACChiro.com or to make an appointment, give them a call at 402-964-0300. Just be sure to let them know that a pen and a napkin sent you. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. Obviously, if you're listening, you're on iTunes, so be sure to download, rate, and review the pod. Give us five stars so that we can get the word out to gain momentum and ratings so that we can help as many coaches as we can hone their craft. And, of course, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coach Lynn Dunn from the University of Kentucky. Coach, how are you doing this evening? I'm great, Marty. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to you. And I love your little diagrams you put on Twitter. <laughs> you know, I think my administrators at some point are they're going to keep you know they're going to ask me why do you go through so many napkins. I, I think that that question has got to be coming at some point. They're going to start taking it out of my paycheck. It's it's a uh, it's a dirty little secret that uh, I, hopefully they're not listening to this and they won't know that. So. Well, it's very original, and it certainly caught my eye, and so I think what you're doing on a napkin is really a, a great thing. Well, thank you very much, Coach. Coming from somebody like you, that is uh, that is greatly appreciated. Uh, you, you've had an awesome career, almost 450 wins as a Division One head coach, uh, assistant coach for the 92 Olympic team, uh, Final Four in 1994 at Purdue as, as a native Iowan. Uh, you know, the Big Ten blood runs a little deep, Big Ten, Big Eight. Uh, I, and I say Big Eight, it was Big Eight when I was a kid. So, uh, but I, I remember that team distinctly. It was a heck of a team. And, and of course, uh, the 2012 WNBA champions with the Indiana Fever. And uh, I, Coach Dunn and I were talking in the pre-roll here. Uh, my first Hall of Famer on the on the podcast here, uh, the 2014 Women's Basketball Hall of Fame inductee. So, what a tremendous career, Coach! And and again, I'm I'm just so excited to have you on here tonight. Well, it's great to be uh, here, and I'm I'm really interested in uh, how we may be able to help some of these high school coaches that listen into your podcast, and uh, some of the coaches, high school and college, that follow you on Twitter. So you and I are in the same business here, trying to give back and help coaches get better. Well, let's get going then. Uh, we'll let All it right. rip here. All right. So I, uh, you know, Google as as I tell folks, Google is a wonderful instrument. It makes me look smarter than I really am. I, I went back and I and I looked at your uh, career and your first job at Austin P University. Uh, the Governors, I believe, is their nickname. Correct, Coach? 
That's correct. All OBC. Right. All mm-hmm. right. Ohio, Ohio Valley Conference. You, yes, sir. You betcha. Where they used to throw toilet paper on the floor after the first basket of every game, and then they kept... Absolutely. Yep. Uh, you see, I, I, I grew up on three or four things in the 80s, Coach. ESPN, college basketball, John Hughes movies, and MTV were kind of my guiding lights. So that probably explains a lot with me right now. So. That does. That does. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so your first job... You were a, a classroom instructor in, in the hyper department. You supervised the football and men's basketball cheerleaders. And then you coached volleyball, basketball, and tennis. So my first question is, has anything changed in the last 50 years of women's basketball and athletics in general? Well, we don't have enough time for me to tell you all the changes that I've seen. But, but you know, let, let me let's make sure that it, that your audience understands this. This is 1970. Uh-huh. So my first ever coaching job, teaching job, was 1970, and that was before Title IX had been passed. Uh-huh. And so um, the opportunities for girls, uh, women uh, at, at universities, and even in high schools you know, what was significantly less than it is today. So I had the opportunity um, in my first job, uh, you know, to coach these three sports with very little support, very little, no scholarships, very, very little. I don't even, it's, I hate to use the term budget because I don't think we really had a budget. Um, but but I, I loved coaching um, back in the early 70s because those players played because they loved the game. They yeah. didn't play for anything else, uh, a lot like high school players do today. You know, they uh, they just wanted to play. They wanted to compete. And so I, I had an opportunity to coach those three teams uh, while I taught eight different PE classes. So, uh, you know, I don't have a whole lot of pay today for people who say they're overworked or they're underfunded because I've been there, done that, I got it. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had the opportunity, Marty, to watch the growth, uh, the true growth of, of women's basketball, high school and college, because two years later in, in 1972, Title IX was passed and we started to see some changes. Uh, all, even though slow, we started to see some changes where we're now starting to give uh, some support, some money money, some funds, uh, some scholarships. Uh, we're enhancing the high school opportunities. So I, I guess I've lived the growth over the last 50 years, uh, 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 in particular in basketball, but all sports. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I'm thankful that I've seen the growth. And it's it's just amazing the opportunities you have, the, the girls have today, uh, compared to what we had in 1970. I was there from 70 to 76. And so there's a, just absolute no comparison it's it's huge it's phenomenal um and and i'm so happy that women and girls have these opportunities now to participate so praise the lord for that for title nine yeah other than other than title and every point everybody points to title nine and rightfully so uh, for the growth of of women's athletics and, and and numerous other things not just athletics but many other opportunities um but do you think probably the other big turning point for especially women's college basketball and maybe sports in general was the the switch from the AIAW to the NCAA and that was that just the backing of the NCAA was able to take it to another level even though it was you know at the time pretty controversial a lot of people wanted to hold on to that AIAW 
status and just the spirit of it and that type of thing. But is that probably the other turning point as well, Coach? I think that was another turning point, Marty. Uh, there's no doubt that when uh, uh, the AAIW provided the original leadership there, but it certainly didn't have the finances nor the uh, the support that uh, an institution like the NCAA had. And so when the NCAA took over, and it was controversial, you mm-hmm. know, it was really kind of, it put the AIW out of business. Yep. Um, but it also uh, joined uh, the, the, uh, the universities that already were, you know, uh, functioning and competing under the NCA. Now their men's and women's program were. And so now we had the resources, the funds, um, the marketing, the brand, et cetera, to grow um, uh, publicly and, and, you know, and to really get the attention uh, that the women's sports deserve. So I think, yes, I think that was the next step, Mm -hmm. Uh, Title IX and then having the NCAA decide to sponsor championships. Yeah. Um, you know, along with that, we start to see the growth of the women's game with, you know, international competition. I think it was 76 was, I think, maybe the first year that the women played in the Olympics. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Coach. Uh, Was it 76? Yeah, that would be be the year, I would think, 76. In Mm -hmm. my mind, I don't – we may have participated way back, and, you know, we've lost track of that. But officially, I I, I look back at 76, yeah. The the modern era of it, if you want to The modern era, yeah. 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 And, And so you get an opportunity in 92 to be an assistant with uh the olympic team over in barcelona and and you know that had to be just an awe-inspiring experience and and just hard to believe that you know 20 years ago you were coaching or you were teaching these eight classes and doing all these other things and now (laughs) you're now you're in the center of the olymp uh, of the the universe essentially and and what was what was that experience like well, I was very fortunate because basketball has really given me the opportunity to travel all over the world and be, in, be a part of representing the United States and in international competition. I was part of the 90 World Championship team, uh, and then I was also part of the 92 Olympic team in Barcelona. And there's it, there's nothing like being an Olympian. There's nothing like the opening ceremonies. And let's remember, 92 was the year that we brought the uh, professional men's basketball into the mm-hmm. into the Olympics. And so that was the dream team. And mm-hmm. so uh, one of the things that I do remember specifically is traveling to and from Barcelona on the same private jet with the dream team, you know, with Michael and Magic and Larry and the whole crew. And I, I think I'm still in awe sitting <laughs> across the aisle from those guys, you know, yeah. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Uh, but anytime you get to represent your country, um, you, you know, uh, in, in international competition, there's a tremendous amount of pride in that. And so I was very fortunate to get to do that. The world championships, the Barcelona Olympics, and I competed, uh, as a the head coach in the Jones Cup mm-hmm. in Taiwan, so um, I was I'm real grateful for for that opportunity, and it helped expand my knowledge of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, not only did I coach in college and and professionally, but I've coached internationally. So it's 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 really helped me learn all about the different styles of basketball. Well, and I think that was a seminal point in the game as well, and and what we kind of figured out is the Europeans and you know, the Euro ball, I guess, is what a lot of people call it today. But now in America, the birthplace of basketball, we're taking a lot of our stuff from what the Europeans 
have been doing for the last 20 or 30 years because it's it's just a a better brand and more efficient type of basketball whereas you know for the 80s and the 90s it was you know two post players two big rugged post players and throw the ball to the block and you know do those type of things and and I think that was a, a huge tor- turning point where America started really noticing what the rest of the world was doing and it did it, it took us a while to kind of catch up to the rest of the world it, it, instead of the other way around don't you think coach Absolutely, and I think we have to give the European style of basketball uh, credit for what we're seeing now in the WNBA and in the NBA with positionless basketball. We're seeing our fours and fives. They're outside. They're inside. They have guard skills, Um, and so that's starting to filter down now uh, into the college game, and and, and I think we're going to see it in the uh, drifting down into the high school, whereas, you know, just because you're tall doesn't mean you have to stand there down there on the block all the time mm-hmm. you know we're seeing bigs with guard skills we're seeing guards with post-up skills and i think it's improved the style of our play i think it's it's much more uh, uh fun to watch a game where all five players are moving and they're interchanging and uh, uh they can all run and they can all play and so i think yeah we got to give the europeans credit for that absolutely any any uh, stories from that plane ride to or from Barcelona that you wouldn't mind? Uh, is is the statute of limitations over after thirty years? I don't have a problem with sharing that they spent. Uh, I can see Charles Barkley now and that crew and Michael and they sat there at the table and they played poker into all the way over and all the way back and they lost. Some of them lost and won more than I would. Well, I will ever make in a lifetime. <laughs> The amounts of money that they were were playing on one hand was just a whole, uh, just stunning to me. So I, I'm still it's still hard for me to believe that, but that does stick in my mind. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, you hear stories about. Uh, some of the golf games that they had and that now I actually saw some of the poker games they had. So that was real interesting. Yeah, I you you were I I think I would have been just as stunned like you know. Uh, yeah, they're a little little too rich for my blood. You guys, are, you guys, are, way, way too rich for mine. Yes. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm a public school history teacher. I could probably hang for a couple rounds. You know, I don't know. Yeah. But <laughs> um, so you, uh, you know, you you really became uh, known for your your postseason runs and 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 kind of our first deep dive basketball nerd question here coach you know you 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 made the final four run in 94 with Purdue you had a couple of other deep runs um with Purdue um you uh you know you were in the playoffs consistently with Indiana in the WNBA and and got to the finals uh and and won a championship what's to you what's the what's the key to getting your team to peak at the right time of the year Wow, that's a good one. That's a real good one. Um, Stay healthy. It sure helps to stay healthy. Um, uh, That's a a key factor. But I do think the real challenge is having the the, the understanding that you're you're going to get 1% better every day. You know, in the beginning of the season, you're not going to be where you are at the end of the season. So it's a journey. And so we're continually trying to get just a little bit better every day. And I think it's more about 
improvement than it is wins and losses as you're going along. Okay, are we getting better? Are we getting better? Are we getting better? And and so I felt like that was one of the things that my teams always did, you know, and, and I was really proud of it. When you looked at my players and when you looked at my team, we got better. We got better. And so as we got better, as the season went along, we got better with our offensive execution. We got better with our defensive system. We were really strong with our special situations. And so then we always had a chance when the playoffs came to make a run because we were prepared and we were we were on the upswing. We were getting better. And, and, and we were even able to get better sometimes through injury, sometimes through adversity. Uh, and I thought that was another factor uh in the teams that that, that I coached looking back was you know we had the mentality that adversity is part of life it's just like it's going to be part of the team situation and we're going to deal with it you know it's not it's not what happens to you that's important it's how you respond to it and I thought we did a really good job with that I'm, I'm writing a couple of addition questions here I think I just invented a word coach um okay so <laughs> we're breaking ground here uh, okay. So uh, let's let's go with this one. Uh, let, uh, you know, you're talking about improvement and getting one uh, percent better every day. Uh, how do you help measure that with your team? What are some ways that you showed that improvement? Was it through film? Was it through uh, showing things on the floor? Was it through statistics? Was it a little bit? Was it D all the above? You know, how are some? What are some ways that you and your staff handled that? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm a real believer in. Uh, subjective data do you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so if we're doing a shooting drill for two minutes and 30 seconds and we're shooting 10 threes at five spots i want to know exactly how many you hit and i want to know that every day and so we're what we're charting how you're doing do you know what i'm saying so we know it's we're not just gonna go shoot random nothing is random Mm -hmm. And, and and same with competitive shooting drills who won the drill who came in second who came in third i want to know how you did and how you performed every day so there's a there's a sense of urgency and there's a sense of pressure that it does matter every possession matters every drill matters every competition matters and so that subjective data indicates to me um whether we're improving or not Mm -hmm. so there i have it you know it's not just wondering or guessing Mm-hmm. Um, I know we either are or we aren't. And if we aren't, then I've got to change what I'm doing and make an adjustment. Mm-hmm. So here's the new word I invented here. Uh, do you, uh, when you were talking about adversity, and I love that. And I think that's, you know, sometimes we go into seasons thinking, well, everything's going to go this way and everything's going to be fine. And one of the things that I've learned in my career is maybe you spend a lot more time thinking about what could go wrong than what should go right, you know, type of a thing. So, Mm -hmm. uh, so my new word here is pre prepare. Uh, again, I don't know if that's a word or not, but you know, is it, is it possible to pre prepare for adversity? Can you, you know, can you prepare for what you're going to do when adversity hits? I think you can. I think you. I think one of the uh, strengths of, of of great coaches, coaches that are consistent, consistently successful, is they are prepared for adversity. 
you know, they are prepared to deal with, with things when they don't, when it doesn't go right, like it's supposed to go. You know, they're not surprised. They're not taken by, uh, you, you know, they're not blindsided because they know that adversity is part of the journey. It's part, it's just like life. It's part of the journey. They're going to be good days. They're going to be bad days. And, and so you're aware of that and you're prepared for that. It's called the what if, what if so-and-so happens? What if so, what if, uh, my starter and my, key player at the point position it gets in foul trouble what's my backup plan you know so i've always i'm always thinking about a backup plan what if what if what if my out of bounds person that always inbounds the ball underneath the basket fouls out who's on who's going to inbound we've already practiced that so i like i call it that you call it pre-prepare i call it the what if what if Mm -hmm. this happens what if that happens and and, uh, i think every coach should have a checklist you know what if this happens what if we come out the second half and now the team we're playing has gone to switching everything they switched every they're switching everything okay are we prepared? Absolutely, because we've practiced. We've tried to be prepared for anything that could happen to us. And I think that's on the court and off the court. Mm-hmm. Somebody uh, struggles in the classroom. You know, they don't make their grades. They're ineligible. Well, who's next in line? Are we prepared? Have we prepared the next person to step into that uh, into that spot? So I think your term pre-prepared yeah. is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but what, what's there? There's some saying failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Mm-hmm. I believe that, you know, so preparation is a real key factor to success. I have used that uh, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. Uh, let's just say on more than one occasion with high school students over the years. So uh, very familiar with that one. That's a wooden staple. So, Well, I wondered where I, who I stole it from. It's, uh, yeah, that might have been who it was. <laughs> yeah, and we'll, we'll hear a little bit more from Coach Wooden later on here in the podcast. So, uh, All right. A pen and a napkin university is offering you, our listeners, a great opportunity to learn more about the coaching above and beyond the a pen and a napkin universe. In our video series detailing personal growth and development, you can purchase videos on topics like interviewing for a job, basketball analytics, and fundraising, and social media. Go to apenandanapkin.com and follow the links to order. Videos are $10 a piece, or you can get a bundle for $50. That's less than $8 a video. We also have our defensive series available. Those videos are $10 a piece, or you can get the three-video bundle for $25. Check out the Appen and a Napkin University Video Library. So... Coach, you uh, you stepped aside. You you decided to retire from the pro game, and you're just ready to go out on easy street. And then you decide you decide to come out of retirement uh, to take up this position at at Kentucky. Which, if you're going to come out of retirement, Kentucky is a great place to come out of retirement. Uh, what 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 brought you out of retirement? Well, let, let me let me clarify that I I. I coached in the pros, I think, a total of almost like eight, I don't know, 18 years, maybe 26 uh-huh. in college, 18 years in the pro. And and I will tell you this, the, the, the travel in the pros will wear you out. Uh-huh. It will wear you out. And and that's probably why I, I decided I didn't really didn't want to do it anymore. I loved I loved the competition. I loved the practices. I loved the players. But I just, I didn't want to do that travel anymore. And before I decided to retire say two years before I started a consulting company and and what I wanted to do was coach coaches Mm -hmm. you know I'd spent my entire life coaching players 
And I, I thought, you know, what I want to do now is I want to work with coaches. I want to help coaches become better. I want to share uh, the knowledge that I've gained all these years and see if I can help coaches become better coaches. And so I started my consulting company. And it, actually, the last two years that I uh, coached in the WNBA with the Indiana Fever, I in the off season, I worked with some college coaches. Mm -hmm. And so I'd already started to do that. Um, and then after I retired, my good friend, um, uh, Matthew Mitchell, the, the, uh, the, the coach at that time at the university of Kentucky, who I'd known forever, you know, worked with Pat summit. And I just, I've always thought of Matthew as almost like a son. He had reached out to me and said, you know, coach, I need some help. And uh, I said, great. What do you need me to do? He said, I just need you to come here and watch my team practice and tell me what we need to do to get better. And so I did. And so um, that first year, I was just a consultant with the team. And then after that first year, um, you, you know, Matthew called me in his office. He said, you know, I need more from you. And I said, well, what, what else can I do? He said, I want you to join my staff and be here full time. He said, I need you every day here down the hall. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, time out. You know, I need a time out here. Um, and so I decided that that would it'd be an interesting thing to do. And I'd been away from the college game so long that it would probably help me in my consulting too, just to see what it was like again, mm -hmm. you know, what the recruiting and the kids and what the players were like. Um, and so I did that for two years. I said, Matthew, I'll do it for two years. And then I'm going back to to being a consultant he said that's great and that's exactly what i did and so when i stepped away after two years full-time as a full-time assistant he said let's just just stay on as a special my special assistant and mm -hmm. so i agreed to do that i don't have to be there i'm not on campus uh, i do everything mostly what i do virtually you know the film the practice films dropped into my computer the games are all on tv i give them feedback i have weekly zoom calls with the coaches um so i'm there i'm their resource from a distance and, and so i really like it i really enjoy doing that because i'm coaching the coaches i don't have mm -hmm. any interaction at all with the players well, i'm all I'm, it's all about the coaches well and and i think that's a, a unique perspective because you don't have any emotional attachment you're just you're just strictly here's what i'm seeing and and i don't know whether mary's having a tough time in her biology class or susie just broke up with her boyfriend or whatever it may be you're just you're just strictly analyzing what's going on and i think that's a great perspective for a coach to have is just mm -hmm. that just that 100 percent. here's what i see and here we go well, and so I would say that probably 90% of what I do is the technical side, you know, mm -hmm. the X's and O's, the practice organization, the all of that, the technical side. Now, on occasion, you know, I may notice, um, you know, maybe there's a, a lack of effort or there or maybe I might suspect that there's some culture issue, mm -hmm. you know, because culture is a real factor um, in consistently successful teams. And so there could be some times where we might talk about that issue, but most of the stuff that I do is directly related to the technical X's and O's strategic side. Uh, I don't scout opponents. 
uh, but I will look at the game and tell them after the game, you know, here's my feedback from the game, win or lose, you know, here's, here's some thoughts. Uh, uh, but I, but I do, I don't want to underestimate that. I don't want you to think that I'm underestimating the value of culture. No, no, uh, absolutely because, not. Yeah. Because the strong culture, and I should have said that a while ago, uh, it is a factor, uh, in your ability to handle adversity. If you have a strong culture, uh, then you can weather the storm. That culture will get you what, through whatever uh, bad situation that occurs because you're all in it together. And so the tougher it gets, the more you pull together. So th- don't underestimate the value of that strong culture. Oh, absolutely not. You know, but it, it's you have, uh, you know, if if I'm the, the coaching staff here at, at Kentucky and, and I'm, I mean, goodness gracious, what a bang up staff with Kyra Elsey and Nia Butts and Gail Ghostencourse, uh, you know, who's an, uh, uh, just a, been a longtime terrific head coach, uh, you know, just what a great group of people for you to work with. But it's it's just awesome to, uh, you know, I can't imagine it would uh, how nice it would be to have just somebody to just self-scout you on a continuous a continual basis to to make the kids better and to make you better as a coach and and I think that's a that's a great tool for the university to have well Marty let me tell you something that I think and I want to give Matthew credit because a lot of coaches won't ask for help uh-huh. And that's something I want to say to everyone that listens to this podcast. Everybody needs help. And and there's nothing wrong with asking for help because that's a sign of strength instead of weaknesses. Okay, I'm not sure how to do this, or I, I'm not sure this is the right way to do this, or, you know, I wish I could do this better. Help me. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think sometimes coaches know they need help, uh, know they need to brainstorm with somebody, uh, ask somebody, you know, for some help, and they won't do it because they're they're afraid to admit um, that they might not know everything. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody knows everything, so Absolutely. you know, don't hesitate to ask for help. Absolutely, and I think a great resource to have is you know I, I can think of uh, a half a dozen coaches that I've kind of reached out to over the years who maybe have have retired let's say mm-hmm. and hey come up to our practice for a day and just watch and just tell me yep. kind of kind of like what coach Mitchell did with you just come up and watch mm-hmm. and and tell me what you see you know right. and and I think that cuz cuz you know how it is you get so locked in on the minutia of your own team that you don't see it from a different perspective and just to have that unadulterated neutral Here's here's what I see. Take it or leave it. Type of perspective can be so invaluable. Well, and what you just said. Here's what I see. Take it or leave it. Whoever you ask to help you, remember now you want them to be the truth tellers. Yes. A, a lot of people won't tell you the truth. Sometimes your assistants, for whatever reason, they think they're supposed to agree with you, and they and they can't tell you the truth. But whoever you bring in, your little board of directors, your little mentors, or whoever you trust. Uh, ask them to tell you the truth because we all need to hear the truth. If you're, if you're off track, they'll help you get back on track. Mm -hmm. So, you know, take advantage of those people that you have that are a great resource. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, One more question here, coach, and then we're going to take a little bit of a turn. Uh, What separates basketball from Kentucky and Indiana from the rest of the country? What's different about Kentucky and Indiana (laughs) To, oh, to everybody God. else. And and, and, I, and I apologize for the other 48 states that I've just offended, including the two that I've spent most of my life in, all my life in. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's a different beast. It's, 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 it's a different beast, just like, uh, you know, 
you know, wrestling is to, to the state of Iowa, let's say, or something like that, uh, or, or volleyball is to the state of Nebraska. Uh, what makes Kentucky and Indiana just that much more when it comes to basketball? Well, and you've hit the nail on the hammer right there. I'm telling you, 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 you you've uh, you've hit the you've hit it because both Kentucky and Indiana will tell you that they are number one when it comes to <laughs> high school and college basketball, and they're fanatic about it. Uh-huh. Um, and, and when I'm in Kentucky, I say they're number one. When I'm in Indiana, I say they're number one because I don't want to get in the middle of that fight. That is and, well I'm played, right, coach. Right. I'm from Tennessee. Of course, they think they are, but they're not. But they think they are, but they're not. Uh, but but really, it's it, I, it, it's most, I don't know if it's the fact that both states have this rule uh, where there's a basketball uh, goal on every barn. There's a basketball goal in every driveway. Um, it, it's just it's like it's the national sport of their of their state. And, uh-huh. and they all play the girls, the boys, everybody. Um, and they, they just, they're in love with the game. Um, and, and so you can just, you go to a high school game and it's unbelievable. I mean, they're hanging from the rafters. Um, and in Indiana, they, they have, some of the high schools have like three gyms, mm-hmm. you know, it's unbelievable how many gyms they have so that all of their teams can practice as much as they want to. And then whoever has the biggest gym in the state, those, those, they get to host the state, you know, the state playoffs. Uh So they'll just build another gym so they can, (laughs) so they can do the playoffs. I mean, that's how much they care uh, um, about, about the sport. And, Mm -hmm. and then of course we've got Indiana with Bobby Knight, Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we know that history, and then you had Kentucky with Joe B. Hall and and and, and all the oh yeah coaches that have been there, mm-hmm. and so they just added to that history. And so you're you're right; it's there's nothing quite like it. Well, I I think um, one of the things that that you know if you if you kind of start in Ohio and you move straight west through that Big Ten country uh, to like Eastern Nebraska. Um, one of the things that you see is, is other than Chicago and Detroit, there's not a huge metropolitan area, really. Um, uh-huh. And there's, there's a little town about 8 to 11 miles away from the next little town. And, and those rivalries in those towns mean so much. And because there's no major professional sport or anything like that, you know, uh, this is, this is our lifeline. This is our passion. And when there's nothing to do on a Friday night in the middle of January, well, let's go to the gym and let's see the people that we've been frozen out from being able to see for the whole week. And, and we get to get, get together for two or three hours to watch some hoops. And I, and I think that's kind of where a lot of that starts from. In 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 my opinion, I, I think that's a big, big part of it is just that, that passion at the local level and that community level because of the proximity where you know it's it's no big you know you know you're 45 minutes away which is just close enough but it's not too far away where you can go see the local team play almost every game if you really wanted to and I think that's a big part of it I think you're right it's a social event Mm -hmm. and everybody's there the whole family's there the grandparents are there the you know the the parents are there the kids are there Um, you know it's the place to be on Friday night sometimes it's Friday Saturday and Tuesday Yep. You know, so it, the the winter the winners um, um, are all about basketball, and even the early fall. 
Uh, and nothing against football, but slam bam, football's over. And then now, <laughs> now we've got the real the real game. Absolutely, absolutely. So, all right, Coach. Well, we're going to pivot here. Um, you are uh, you are privileged here to be the first one uh, in this regard. So, the first one hundred podcasts uh when we kind of pivoted from the first half to the second half we had the don meyer quote of the day and um we went through 100 and i thought okay it's time for a change we we went through the, that's a great number to switch it up so we're going to switch from from one goat to another goat we're going to go from uh one of the greatest of all time in don meyer to another one of the greatest of all time in john wooden so uh, good Lord winning, uh, willing, if we go another 99 podcasts after this, we'll find somebody else at 200. But for the next 99, we're going to have the John Wooden quote of the day. So you you get the first John Wooden quote of the day on the A Pen and a Napkin podcast. So um, are you ready for this one, Coach Dunn? Well, I'm. you want me to come up with it or are you going to tell it to me? I got it for you. I okay, got it for you. You got it for me. All right, let's hear it. Let's and, see which one you're using. All right. Um, the John Wooden quote of the day is people usually know what they should do to get what they want. They just won't do it. They won't pay the price. Okay. That was the John Wooden quote of the day. So, and that uh, is true. That is true. My answer is true. Yep. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I I think that a lot of, you know, we're talking about Friday night and a lot of people like Friday night, but Sometimes the hardest, the, the the most frustrating teams to coach are the ones that aren't ready to go Monday through Thursday to get them ready for Friday night, and and that's the price you have to pay to really excel on Friday night. Well, it goes like this: success is never accidental. You don't mm-hmm. accidentally perform at a high level consistently and so if you want to perform at a high level and you want to be consistently successful, then you're going to have to work at it every day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, all right, Coach. Uh, like I said, that's that's kind of our pivot point, and so we're going to jump into uh, some more basketball nerd ish X's and O's stuff. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, and, and we haven't talked about this yet on the podcast. Um, more and more states are adopting the shot clock and you have had to work, especially when you were coaching at the professional level, it's all about managing the shot clock um, and, and the stuff that you do with that. Uh, What are some things that you could give our listeners uh, some tips for as, as the shot clock becomes more and more of a common thing at the high school level? And what are some things that coaches can do in practice to work with that shot clock and get used to having the shot clock being part of the game? Uh, well, you, you know, I had the, the the opportunity to coach before there was a shot clock at all, you mm-hmm. know, so I know what it's like not to have a shot clock. And I understand the philosophy of, uh, especially it still happens in high school where you get ahead and you hold the ball. I understand mm-hmm. that. And even Dean Smith, we know Dean Smith's traditional four, four corners, corners where yeah. he would get ahead and, and hold the ball way back in the day. Um, and so obviously the shot clock changes the game. It changes the game. And so you need to be prepared for the fact that it will be different. 
Um, and so, you know, if you're dragging your feet and saying, okay, we're going to put in the shot clock in a year, you better start getting ready right now because it is an adjustment. It, it changes. It changes how you approach the game. It can change your entire philosophy. And it definitely, number one, speeds up the game. And so you need to think about, first and foremost, okay, how does this speed me up? How does this speed me up offensively? Because I can't make 14,000 passes. I can't run one of those uh, sets that takes forever. I can't run flex till I've flexed everybody out of the building. <laughs> you know, I've, I've got to figure out, um, and, and that's where I'm going to suggest that you time it, uh, because if you either have to. 30, probably a 30-second clock in high school. We have a 24-second clock in the pros. But you need to time your sets. You need to time your actions. You know, how much how much time does it take to make five passes, three passes, four passes? And so what you're going to find out, uh, Marty, is you're going to be running some um, continuity offenses, but you're also going to be running some motion um, with some unpatterned actions. And so you need to figure out, okay, how many passes before I get the right shots for the right people. So you're going to have to start timing what you're going to do. And then you need a real package of quick hitters. Um, and so let's say you've run your motion for half of your shot clock and now your shot clock's running down and you want to get the shot for the right person. Um, and so then you need that package of quick hitters. So, okay, I'm going to run this quick hitter now at the end of my motion package. So that's a little bit different maybe than what you did without the shot when you didn't have the shot clock. Now, the other thing to think about, and I think and this is what I love about the game, is that it's a faster-paced game. You're going to have more possessions. You may push the ball, and you may be one of these teams. How do you want to play? Do you want to make three passes, and you're going to, and you're going to take a shot? Mm-hmm. Okay, so how do you get a good shot in three passes? You know, you've got your early break, and then you've got some early flow actions, and that may be how you play. You may you may not run anything where there's four or five, six passes. You, that's not how you want to play. You want to play real up-tempo, and you want to get as many possessions as you can because the shot clock's not even going to be a problem for you because you're going to play fast. Mm-hmm. So I think that the question is, how do you want to play? Do you want to use the whole shot clock? Do you want to use maybe half the shot clock? Or do you want to use as little as possible? Mm-hmm. And so deciding how you want to play and then timing, timing it. You know, just like you time your out-of-bounds plays, uh, you need to time your action so that you can see what part of the shot clock is going to be left. Gotcha. Um, how much of your practice time would you let, let's say you're you're going 90 minutes in in early January let's say in a, in a typical high school season if you've got a 90 minute practice by by this point uh, what do you think you you're probably spending 15 20 minutes a day on those type of things uh what would be kind of your suggestion coach well it would depend on the time of the season uh-huh. because I'm going to tell you something if I'm going to start using the shot clock this is early this is new for me uh-huh. I'm going to start doing it day one of the practice, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to start getting used to something that is really changing how we've played because it also changes defensively. Used to, you might have to defend. What if somebody moved the ball around and moved the ball around forever? You know what I'm saying? So you had to defend forever. And so, see, now you don't have to defend forever. Mm -hmm. If you're going to only have to defend, say, for by the time they get down the floor, there's only 24 seconds left, and now you've got to defend for 24 seconds instead of 50. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so as that shot clock runs down, 
this is really interesting. Now the pressure's on the offense. They've got to get a shot. Uh-huh. They've got to get a shot. So as the defense, as the clock's running down, you're thinking, okay, how can we be even more intense? Uh-huh. How can we be even more disruptive? And so a lot of teams, as the, that last seven or eight seconds, that last seven or eight seconds, they may switch everything. They may trap because they know the pressure's on you to get a shot. Um, and so the offensive team has to be prepared for, okay, what are we going to do those last eight seconds? Mm-hmm. And so that's a kind of a different situation when you didn't have the shot clock. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to think about as you incorporate a shot clock for the first time. So I'm going to start working on the shot clock day one. Mm-hmm. We're going to we'll start using the shot clock. Let's start playing with the shot clock. Let's just put it up there. Let's mm-hmm. see what it's like, and let's get used to it. Let's get comfortable with it. Um, so that's going to be part of every practice. It's going to be part of all everything that we do because it's going to be part of the game. Yep. Well, and and I think that's interesting that you say that because you, in some ways, you would think, well, wouldn't you be a little bit more conservative as the shot clock's getting down to six, five, four? But you know, you can get more aggressive to put more pressure because what's everybody start doing when that number hits seven, six, five? Everybody starts uh-huh. fidgeting a little bit. Everybody gets a little nervous. It's like, okay, let's put even a little bit more pressure on them, and and maybe we take an average shot into a poor shot, and a poor shot into a really bad shot, and maybe even force a turnover because they're trying to do too much because there's that subconscious part of you saying, we got to get a shot up. We got to get a That's shot right. up. We got to get a shot up. So is, is that so part I- of your philosophy? Absolutely. And see, I think those, when it's just counting down eight, seven, then now the defense is getting really fired up because the pressure is on the offense. The mm-hmm. pressure is on the offense. You're not going to wear me out defensively because you don't, you've got to take a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I may have been just, you know, playing straight man up until then. Now all of a sudden I'm switching everything mm-hmm. those last few seconds because the pressure, I'm not, I'm not going to let you get a good shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to think about in with, with the shot clock, you know, I, how often do I want to get in that situation where it's running down like that and, and we're a nervous wreck because the ball's in the wrong person's hand? Mm-hmm. And so you'll see a lot of teams, you'll see this in particular in, in, in high schools or colleges or even pros where they're used to the shot clock. And as the clock starts to run down, they just stop what they're doing and spread out and run some type of a middle ball screen or a five-out ball screen, um, a dribble handoff. You know, they've got a set play that they run for low shot clock. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and so that I, they've got some driving lanes, yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. Did you, ha- did you guys, I- I'm assuming you had a call for, like, making that switch in the last mm-hmm. seven seconds or so? Yeah, well, as we're counting down uh, in the pros, like eight, right around eight, seven, we're yelling green. Mm-hmm. And green means we are switching everything. Mm-hmm. And black would mean if there's an on-ball screen, we're trapping it. So we're switching everything as it's going down. And if you run an on-ball, we're trapping you. Gotcha. Gotcha. So now you, we're going we're gonna to put as much pressure on you because there's pressure on you to get a shot because yeah. the, the clock creates pressure. Mm-hmm. And now the defense is creating pressure. Yeah, so we would go green as we're counting down, and and we would go uh, we would go black on the trap. But now, if it's offense, we're going to what we call five up. So we've got the ball in the hand of our best our best creator, and we're going to set an on ball screen with our five 
a high flat back, a high step up screen. And everybody else is spread out and the lane's open. So mm -hmm. we're spread out with driving lanes and we're attacking. And gotcha. that, that would be the way that we would attack you if the clock's running down. Yeah. And I like that that thought on the defensive end. You know, you're playing against two opponents then at that point. You're playing the, the defense and you're playing the clock. And I think that's a great way to manage that. So, And, and so I think that's how the clock helps the defense. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. When you really when you think about it, it's it's a plus to the defense and now we're not gonna have any more of that standing and holding the ball anymore. Oh yeah. Well, I, I think a lot of you know, there there's probably not a coach that's listening to this, uh, Lynn, that is not sitting there going, I can't wait to get the shot clock if they don't have it in their state because every time we play blank we know they're going to hold the cotton picking ball for 55 seconds, 75 seconds. And if they get in the last four minutes and if they're up four, they're going to pull and they're going to shorten the game. And I understand that. That's the rules of the game in a lot of states, including including Nebraska at the time, uh -huh. uh, you know, at this time. Um, it was it was really um, and, and I've always been a proponent of the shot clock. We had a game at the state tournament two years ago, um, right before COVID hit. And it was, I can't remember if it was a double overtime or a triple overtime game in the state semifinal. And in, in the last 10 minutes of the game, I think there were eight, eight shots taken from the field. Uh, now, now, you, now, you know, James Naismith didn't mean for the game to be played that way. I don't absolutely believe it. You, not. No. No. Mm -hmm. no. No. And, 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 and the, the point was, you know, Hey, I get it, and I understand the strategy. I understand that's the rules at the time. That's what you had. But you know what? We're on the biggest stage. Nobody wants to watch that. Nobody right. wants to watch that. And and in a sport, especially like, like girls basketball, which sometimes, especially compared to the men's game, struggles with support uh, and, and spectators and, and getting young women involved with the game from time to time, why would you want to be part of something like that at the highest level? Let's let this let's let this play out the way it's meant to be played, like you right. said, and, the way Dr. Naismith intended it. To yeah, be. and let's let them play. Mm -hmm. Now, the challenge you have is the coach of the team that's always done that. That's been his style. That's been his system. Mm -hmm. He would have to make a huge adjustment because he's going to have to learn how to play the game differently mm -hmm. on the, on both ends, offense and defense. And so, those coaches that historically have done that and won games that way, they're the ones that are fighting the change. Yeah. Because they have to change how they play. They have to change. They have to learn a different style of play. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be hard for them. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you got to be yep. comfortable with being uncomfortable. And yep. that, that's 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 the biggest thing about it. You know, it goes back to the to the three-point line and how many people didn't want to see the three-point line because it was different because it would change. Well, that's one of the best things that's ever, the, the, the two greatest inventions of the game have been the shot clock and the three-point line. And absolutely. It, absolutely. You know, so uh, I could go on this forever, but I know folks want to hear us talk about other <laughs> things, Lynn. So uh, let's, let's hit two or three more topics here. Let's talk about a little bit about rebounding. Uh, your rebounding philosophy, uh, the way uh, you taught rebounding and, uh, just, uh, your, your, your habits, your emphasis when it came to rebounding, so forth and so on. Well, first of all, I'm a fundamentalist. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, I believe in, in really teaching the basics of fun of the fund individual fundamentals, offensively, defensively, and rebounding. Those are the three areas of th that you have to teach 
fundamentals. You have to teach kids, you know, how to jump stop. You have to teach them how to pivot. You have to teach them how to pivot on either foot, the rear pivot, the front pivot, um, because the pivot rear and front are, are key to you being able to box out. And so I won't worry sometimes that that skill is not being taught. And so then you can't, you wonder why they're, 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 inability to contact box out is so poor well they don't know how to pivot they don't know how to use their body front or rear to make contact and so i'm i'm, I'm a fundamentalist right from the get-go i'm going to teach them how to pivot i'm to teach them how to uh, use their body i'm going to teach them how to butt check with their rear end i'm going to teach them how to get their arms straight up elbows out hands up and I'm going to teach them how to use their elbows. If my man tries to get around me, they're going to get an elbow in their face. If they come around the other side, they're going to get a hip over here. So I'm going to teach those basic fundamentals um, to the team. And then I've got to decide from a rebound perspective about how I feel about transition defense because rebounding and transition defense in my mind kind of go together. How many am I sending to the boards? Who's getting back? And so that comes into the play. I'm a believer in let and, and, and sending three to the boards mm-hmm. uh, and getting my two back. You know, so so you need to think about that when you're thinking about your your rebounding. Traditionally, if you're on the outside, I'm going to hit. I'm going to hit and go. If you're in the paint, I'm going to hit you and hold you. Uh, so that's just kind of a philosophy of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just a little bit of quick about rebounding mm-hmm. and drill it every day it's part of every drill that's the other thing um i'm a i'm a multi uh, multiple drill person every i'm going to get as much as i can get out of every drill mm-hmm. if you're not getting three things out of one of my drills and then, then then we're doing the wrong drill so every drill ends with a rebound it, it ends with a box out you know it doesn't just end when you take a shot you either get an offensive rebound or somebody gets a defensive rebound we finish with rebounding so that rebounding is constantly on your mind. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? In, in every drill. And mm-hmm. so I think that's a way you get better. You say, well, we just can't. Our rebounding doesn't improve. I'm, well, you're not rebounding in your drills. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll watch your drills and you're not rebounding in them. Of course they're not. And then you expect them to rebound in the game? No. Yep. So it's got to be a part. It's got to be a part of everything you do. And you have to reward rebounders. Um, I remember in the pros, after every game, the only award we gave in the locker room was who got the most rebounds per minute played. So if you were a sub, you came in and played three minutes and got three rebounds times 40, you can imagine. So a sub could get the, the prize for the rebounder of the day. And that's the only, that's the only award we ever gave. Mm-hmm. If, if you – here's the scenario I play out every once in a while, Coach. If you were on a desert island, you were stuck there with your team and the basketball <laughs> gods. It's pretty. It's a pretty uh, extravagant uh, description here. The basketball gods said you can only do one rebounding drill for the duration of your stay here, and you're kind of stuck there forever. So you you only have one rebounding drill that you can run with your team. What rebounding drill would that be? Well, you, you sound like me, because I think I posted on Twitter, here's the three drills I'm going to take to heaven with me. You okay. must have read me when I said that. Okay. Uh, and then that's how you know what matters. Yep. You know, that's how know, you know what you value. Okay, I, I, I'm not going to be able to explain it probably, but the name of the uh, rebounding drill is called high-low rebounding, and I think I got it from uh, Auburn, from Joe Champy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a great rebounding drill. There's three on one side, there's three on the other side, and there's – 
person on each wing, and then there's a person on the block and the elbow. I'll I'll uh, I'll draw it up and send it to you. Okay. Um, and then and it's competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the coach throws the ball. If I throw the ball to the left, then the right side goes over and defends, and then they take the shot, and then we box out. Mm-hmm. I throw it to the right side; they come over and defend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's just a a, a a little rebounding, I don't know, little drill that I learned a long time ago. And if I could only take one rebounding drill, that's what I'm going to take. It's called high low rebounding, and I'm going to give Joe Champion at Auburn credit for it we uh, and and i am more than fine with that it's good to do that yeah those are those are the drills i call them desert island drills like and and uh yeah i did a little found uh, i call them foundation friday podcast and we we talked about that a few weeks ago so there's another plug back to one that i just did like three weeks ago so go back and listen to that one listeners if you haven't listened to that one as well so yeah And I think, Marty, what you just said, I think coaches need to know, okay, what are my three favorite drills and why are they your three favorite drills and do they really work? Mm -hmm. Because let's say those are the only three drills you had. Mm -hmm. So how many things are you getting out of those drills? Are Mm -hmm. you getting shooting, rebounding, ball handling, passing, you know, what screening? Are you getting, are you milking it? And there's at least one of the drills full court. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I have, you know, if I had three drills, uh, we do um, a drill we call three on three, one more, which is uh-huh. it basically evolves. It's uh, I got it from uh, uh, Bob Hurley Sr. I saw it at a coaching clinic, and and now everybody kind of runs it. It it's, goes by a lot of different names, but it's it ends up being three on three, and we run a lot of our offensive principles through that. Um, the other one, or another one that we would do is is the. Uh, we call it call the name transition. It's where the five kids are on the baseline. The five kids are on yep. the, uh, yep. across and you call one or two mm-hmm. names. And, and then the other one would be, uh, we call it four on four versus a box to attack a zone and to just, mm-hmm. but all three of those are built around just playing and, and a, we're playing both sides of the ball, offense and defense. It's going to be competitive. We can come up with any competitive scenario we want to and, and see it's not, it's not structured from beginning to end. You're going to have to figure some stuff out. And I think that's so important that sometimes we as coaches want to, and I know I was guilty of this when I was younger, that we want to structure everything to get from A to B to C to D. Well, sometimes the kids have to spell the alphabet themselves. And mm-hmm. and, and and that's what I really like about those drills for myself. And, and again, somebody else could have three totally different things. But for me, I think those are the three best drills that we have. Well, what you just said is really important, and and, and let's emphasize that to your coaches. Do your drills challenge your players to make decisions? Is decision-making part of the drill? If it's not, then it's too structured. So so look at your drills. The three you mentioned are great. I'm going to mention cutthroat because I love cutthroat. It's offense. It's defense. It's everything, and it's free play. I love 11-man break. Mm-hmm. Because it's full court, I love four on three, three on four, uh, with a trapping, and so all of those though are are decision making. You know what I'm saying? You're not. Mm-hmm. There's no. There's a. There's a, a a little bit of structure about what you're doing, but then after that, it's all about you making decisions and playing basketball. Mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly agree with you, Coach. Wholeheartedly agree with you there. Um, let's get into some out of bounds plays here. Um, you sent me a couple here and I got to switch over. I got to switch screens. Uh, but, uh, let's start with, 
we, we haven't talked out of bounds plays uh, very much lately on the podcast. Uh, so let's start with that. We'll start, uh, start with a sideline out of bounds play. You sent me something called magic and, uh-huh. and I'm going to just let you kind of cook here, coach. And, and, and we can take these and we'll post these eventually. Uh, or I'll post these when, when this is dropped. Uh, so we're recording this Sunday night. So this will be Monday morning, uh, Monday after early Monday afternoon. Uh, but, uh, you know, coach, what do you like about this play? Um, what uh, what are some of the keys to it? Uh, multiple options and and just you know, just what do you like about it? Okay, well let, let's start by talking about uh, out of bounds plays in general. Okay, because that's a real key piece of special situations. And I'm a fanatic about special situations. You know, you've got your offense, you've got your defense, but then you've got these dead ball situations like out of bounds plays after a free throw, after a timeout, you know, are you prepared for special situations? And um, I think you're, you might be surprised how many out-of-bounds plays end inside there are a game. And so you need to be prepared to defend them and you need to be prepared to execute them. And so um, out-of-bounds plays, and but you'll say, say sideline, um, you know, you have to think about, that, that you could be um, ahead, behind, tied. You could also be in a situation where you have to get the ball inbounds to your best free throw shooter. So you have to think about all the things that you need to get out of a sideline out-of-bounds play. And so I came up with the Magic Series, and I don't, I'm sure I stole it from someone because let's remember in basketball it's legal to steal, it's legal to copy, uh, not like some other professions. And so you don't, you, you don't have to... You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, when you see something you like, take it mm-hmm. and then tweak it so that it fits your your system. And so I like that. I like that set uh, of the stack along the three point line with three players and then the point guard lower. Um, and so now I'm in a position to run some different actions. And now let me say this: um, you don't need four or five different sets. You need one set with four or five different actions. Mm-hmm. Because if you change sets every time that you run a play, then I can scout you. I know what you're going to run. Oh, look, the, yeah, they run that set, and this is what they do. Mm-hmm. Okay, they run this set, but gosh, Coach, they've got four things they do, and I'm not sure which one they're going to run. Mm-hmm. So that's why you need to find you a set that you like and then create – three, four, depending on how many you think your players can handle, at least three actions. I always suggest that you have three actions and and, and that your actions, um, and, and you should look at them this way, it should be one pass, two pass, three pass. Okay. And so you have to time your actions. You know, I've only got enough time to make one pass, okay? If I can only make one pass, because of the shot clock or the time on the clock, and that's where the shot clock's going to come into play with your out-of-bounds plays. If I can only make one pass, then can I get a two and can I get a three? Mm-hmm. I can I can make two passes. Can I get a two? Can I get a three? I can make three passes. Can I get a two? Can I get a three? Or I can inbound to my best free-throw shooter. So these are all the things that I'm thinking about when I'm creating my out-of-bounds series, and that's why I call it the magic series. And you may say, well, Coach, why do you call it magic? 
And I said, because I make my players believe it'll work against anything. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, yeah. hey, no. So, so they'll say, you know, the, the players, college and pro, they always want to know when is this going to work against man or zone or which it works against. And I just say it works against everything. Mm-hmm. It's magic. It's, it's magic. It's magic. There we go. Well, it's but, magic. But, but, but I think, I think it is important that you do have as many sets whatever number of sets and, and some people are are 20 sets some people are five set coaches uh but whatever that number is have as many of those as you can to work against zone and man so that you're not you have one playbook instead of two playbooks essentially i think that's a, right. a really valuable thing as well all right so let's say that i'm i've got this magic set here and you see it the three there with the one and i have got actions i've got three, four, five actions that I know because I've already worked, practiced, I already know they'll work against any zone and they'll work against any man. Mm-hmm. Because I know I know, I know, know the weaknesses of the zones. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I know the weaknesses of the man. So it's okay. It's it's I can say, okay, run magic four. And I know that's going to work against a man or a zone. I'm not worried about what the other team's going to run because I know it doesn't matter. And it gives my team confidence. They're not worried about... Oh gosh, what are they going to? What are they going? To, don't worry about it. Just run your play. Yep. You're going to get. Here's what you're going to get. And so that's why I call it magic. And that's why, in, with the actions that I use from this set, I know the I know the kind of shots that I can get because I've, I've practiced them. I've diagrammed. I've re-diagrammed them. I put the, I put the defense out there. I've practiced them against a two-three, a three-two, a one-three-one, a man. I've practiced mm-hmm. against all of them, so I know that we're prepared for whatever somebody's going to throw at me. Mm-hmm. And so, so you, oh, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, the last thing I was going to say, I said one pass. I want to be able to make one pass too to the low block. I want to make, make a, have a, a an action where I can pass from the out of bound person straight to the block. Mm-hmm. I can get a three. I can get a two, and I can get a post up. Well, yeah, like I, I this this one option off your magic series uh, that I have here, and I feel so privileged. I, I get to look at something that nobody else gets to look at right now, so I feel a little <laughs> special. But uh, you know, yeah, it's it's just a, a direct entry to your five, and and then just just getting good movement. You know, uh, you, you know, there's a back screen, there's a down screen, and and you're looking for space off of that there. So you know, I think that's that's a great look uh, that if you run that correctly. Uh, you can, like you said, you got that that post seal at the block for a a, a a good attack around the scoring zone, or you can kick it out to a shooter and and space the floor. So, um, yeah, this is this is terrific, uh, coaches. You'll have to take a look at the Twitter handle. Uh, I'll be I'll be uh, scanning these in and and posting them on Twitter, and and we'll give Coach Dunn all the credit, of course, uh, when we put that up. So uh, we'll, we'll so get that, those checked so that- out. Yeah, so that magic play there, that's just like maybe two actions, but I've probably got eight or nine different ones based on just what I know I need. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, And and remember, the weaknesses of a 1-3-1 are the corners. The weaknesses of a 3-2 are the corners. Mm -hmm. The weaknesses of the uh, 2-3 are the nail. You know what I'm saying? So you've got actions, you know, that go against whatever your your team might might see so that i think that's important to think about and you want to inbound it again one of the actions has to be if the game is tied let's say 
late in the game is tied and you've got to inbound it to your best free throw shooter. Mm -hmm. Don't forget, that's a great special situation to be aware of. Mm -hmm. So the Magic Series is a good one for the sideline. Uh, and then I think on the end line, I love the box set. I, I, did I send you the box sets? Yep, yep. I, okay. I got the, the uh, number three with yep, counters the, the, and yeah uh -huh. yeah there's a lot of some screen the screener action i see there uh on on one of them here and then um yeah just just a a lot of different things where you know there's a little floppy action it looks like on another one and yep, little wheel action yep 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 kind of a triple curl cut here and, and coming around there so yeah this is this is some really good stuff coaches so um yeah there's just just multiple options and and coach on a lot of these i see that you know both on your baseline and your sidelines uh it looks like you've got your two taking it out a lot of the time is that just a, a random number or is that kind of with the intention of hey we we uh you know stereotypically your two is your best shooter uh is that with the intention a lot of times of rescreening for that two after an inbounds or what are you thinking uh -huh. there well, I like to use, I didn't have a, I wasn't able to do it on that fast draw thing, but I like to use the two and the three. Mm -hmm. I like for both of them to be prepared to be my inbounder. So if three were the inbounder, they, those those two spots are interchangeable mm -hmm. in, in my philosophy. And that way I know I've got two people, hopefully both of them won't foul out. But you know what I'm saying? I've got two <laughs> people that have had experience inbounding. And, and let's remember this, your inbounder, once they pass the ball in, they're one of the most dangerous people coming back in. Mm -hmm. You know, so make sure I like to have, once when the inbounder inbounds, I like for her to do something where she comes back in off of off of a single double or maybe a triple mm -hmm. uh, because she's really hard to guard once she passes that ball. Everybody turns to see where the ball went, and now she's making a move. Um, and uh, now let me share something else with you. This box set, once again, it's my favorite set, but then I might have five, six, seven different actions. Mm -hmm out of the same set. And I think I showed you two actions, maybe three. I think I got three um, here. Yep. Yeah. And then I think the other thing that, that coaches need to remember is one thing that bothers a defense is just to move your box up. So if I move my top people up to the three-point line and I moved my block people up to the elbow. Mm -hmm. And so now the defense is spread much further out. Mm -hmm. uh, and that bothers the defense. So uh, I didn't change the play. I've got the same action. I just moved it up. You're just changing and, the geometry a little bit. Yeah, and, it, I, and then I became harder to guard because I'm using much more space. Mm-hmm. Well, and so that's just a, that's just a tip for for, for the coaches. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think another thing you talked about was going back to the inbounder, and you were talking about it with out of bounds plays. But I think another thing uh, that is, and you're talking special situations as well, is uh, when you're breaking tough pressure and a real gambling pressure. You, you put that player in to inbound and then go right back to that inbounder on a hard cut. That's really mm -hmm. hard for teams to to defend as well when and uh, because what's the what's the hu natural human reaction? You're gonna turn and you're gonna watch where the ball goes and for that split second, if we know that we're gonna go back to the inbounder cutting through at a certain angle, usually that's gonna be there if we if we pass and catch the ball the way that we're supposed to catch it. 
Absolutely. And I think I even showed that in the magic thing where there where there was a deny mm-hmm. and then we inbounded to somebody else and got a backdoor cut because somebody was overplayed. I believe that part. I think we inbounded yep. to the elbow, maybe yep. and got a backdoor because the one was denied. So anytime when you're overly, you have to make overly aggressive defenses pay. Mm-hmm. You have to make them pay for being aggressive. And and the other thing, Marty, is, you know, coaches spend a lot of time on their out-of-bounds plays, off in, uh, inline and sideline, but they don't spend enough time on their defense. Mm-hmm. Defending out-of-bounds plays, end and side, should be a priority because there's five of you and there's only four of them in, in bounds. So, you ought to be able to get a five-second call. Mm-hmm. It's five against four, and so uh, I've always taught that. Hey, we're going. Our goal is to get a five-second call. Yeah, our goal is not to let you inbound the ball. And if you do inbound the ball, you certainly don't inbound it to who you wanted to. Mm-hmm. You know, so so we spend we spend real valuable time uh, defending. Um, out-of-bounds plays, and we may switch off the inbounder. We may invert, you know, uh, on the other side. We may do some different things. We may trap the inbounder, uh, but we want to be disruptive on an out-of-bounds play. I'm not just going to let you do anything you want to do. Yep, yep, and I, and I think that's, you know, it's it's a way in a, in a game of, of margins and, and, you know, winning on the margins. It's a way that you can win on the margin <laughs> whether you're a, a bad team that's trying to get to be average and average to good, good to great, great to championship level. Those are the little things that you need to emphasize. Those are the details you need to emphasize. I hate saying little things because everything's a thing. Uh, I, you know, the details of the game. And this is a great way to win on the margins that if you consistently teach those things and have a good philosophy with it and, you, and your kids know exactly what you're supposed to do, I think that's a great way that you can – turn around those two points, four points, six points that you're, that you can buy that, mm-hmm. that, that you're going to need in those situations. Yeah. I mean, I, I always try to convince my teams, Hey, stay close and we're going to win. Stay mm. close and we're going to win because we're prepared for what's going to happen at the end. We're prepared for what's going to happen to end offensively and defensive. Just stay close. and We're going to win. And coach, I feel like I have won tonight. <laughs> this has been absolutely freaking awesome. And I know I have to, I told you before, we had to keep it PG 13, but this has been a freaking awesome conversation. I have, I have thoroughly enjoyed this, and I know our listeners are going to enjoy our conversation here tonight. I hope you've had fun on a pen and a napkin podcast here this evening. I have, Marty, and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate everything you're doing to help coaches get better. And I have enormous respect for high school coaches. I don't know if I could do it. And you you have so much influence on these young people. You have so much power. And I I just want to tell you how how much respect I have for what you do. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I've got a great group of kids to work with. They've worked really hard for me. Uh, they've been so easy to coach. And and hopefully we, we made some good strides in our first season last year. Um, you know, now hopefully we take another step forward here this year. But uh, we just got to worry about getting uh, – y- you said this uh, right at the beginning. 
you know, get 1% better today. And if, mm-hmm. if my players were listening to this, they'd be like, coach, how much did you pay her to say that? Because you say that <laughs> all the time. So, uh, well, good. So, You're on the right track. Yes. Uh, we're, we're, we're trying. We are trying. So, uh, Lynn Dunn, uh, Women's Basketball Hall of Famer, uh, assistant to the head coach at the University of Kentucky. Uh, Coach, this has been a privilege. It's been an honor. I've had a terrific time with you tonight. Thank you so very much for coming on. Uh, You're so welcome. uh, Happy to be here. Yes, thank you so much. If you could hold the line a second here, i got to wrap up a couple of things. Uh, Again, Lynn Dunn, uh, just great basketball mind, uh, great way of communicating. And, uh, coaches, this is, this has been a, a, a terrific podcast. So I hope, uh, that you guys have gotten as much out of it as I have. I feel kind of guilty. I wrote about two pages of notes while we were talking here as well. So, uh, we of course want to thank COSAC Chiropractic, our, our founding sponsor for the podcast. If you're in need of chiropractic services, don't hesitate to call Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at 402-964-0300. Follow us on Twitter. Coach, oh shoot, I forgot to, to, uh, mention the very last thing. Social media, anything you want to plug for social media for yourself or the program or anything? Just follow you, a pen and a napkin. <laughs> well, what about you, though? Oh, I'm saying you follow you first. I'll be if they follow you, they'll find me. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll just do that. We'll just do that. So follow me to follow Lynn Dunn here uh, on Twitter. Uh, download, rate, review this podcast. Questions, comments, suggestions, ideas. Email me at penandanapkin at gmail dot com and check out a penandanapkin dot com. Uh, probably gonna have to delay the revamping of the website till the season is over, uh, but it will be done. I promise you. I promise you, it will be done. Coaches. This has been a great podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. So coaches, let's always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.